I was just so persistent that um, it kind of makes me laugh today. So I'm talking like, you know, multiple emails, to, to, almost to the point of like harassment. <laughs> but it worked. I mean, it, it worked. Hey, everyone. I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. I want to welcome this week's guest, Jamie Schmidt, to our show today. Jamie is an entrepreneur and founder of Schmidt's Naturals, a brand of natural personal care products that she started from her kitchen. Feeling unfulfilled in her career and seeking purpose for most of her life, Jamie was exploring different hobbies with the hopes that she would find her passion. In 2010, Jamie was pregnant with her son and was experimenting with making her own natural, non-toxic products that would be safe for her to use. After exploring different recipes, she soon created a natural deodorant that actually worked, and that's when Schmidt's Naturals was born. Jamie grew the company from farmer's market tables to a household name that lined the shelves of CVS, Target, Costco, Whole Foods, and Walmart. Under Jamie's leadership, the company was in over 14,000 stores in 30 countries with year-over-year growth at 300%. After seven years of running her company, Jamie sold Schmidt's Naturals to Unilever for reported nine figures. Since selling her company, Jamie has been dedicated to building better businesses and recently launched two new ventures, Supermaker, a media platform that celebrates emerging entrepreneurs and Color, an inclusive investment fund that supports diverse and underrepresented founders. We're so excited to have Jamie with us today and learn more about how she built this massive business all led by her own passions. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Hi, thanks for having me. We're excited to have you and you're looking at one of your most loyal fans. I think I've been using your charcoal deodorant for over four years now, and I swear by it. I recommend it to everyone. So I'm super excited to have you on and learn more about your journey today. I'm glad you found your your match. <laughs> yes. Well, we'll definitely link your products to our show notes because I think everybody needs to check them out. So on this podcast, we always love to start from the beginning. I'd love to learn more about your upbringing. Did you always have this entrepreneurial spirit within you? I had hints of it. Um, I've told the story before about, you know, running a lemonade stand um, in the summers. It was kind of a big ordeal. Um, you know, my dad and I would put together these laminated cards that said save the date and um, take them to the neighboring mailboxes and kind of build up the hype. Um, also, you know, I held a lot of garage sales in my time in Michigan growing up. And um, that was always really fun for me because I would set up um, a kid's table it was my own little thing. I had my own bank. Um, and I would literally like negotiate prices with <laughs> the kids that were shopping. That's impressive. Yeah, it was fun. Um, you know, so there were little things like that. I started babysitting at a really young age. Um, I'd say like 13 even. Um, I was, so I had some income there and my, you know, my parents were really great at just teaching the value of money. You know, I grew up, um, in a pretty frugal household you know, we had everything we needed, but we were just we're on a, always on a conscious budget. My dad uh, worked for General Motors as an engineer, and my mom stayed home with my my brother and I. Um, and I, you know, I look back and I just appreciate just their like values around money and and saving. And um, back then, I thought they were kind of cheap, but <laughs> today, I you know, I, I I appreciate it and just like in growing my business, it was so valuable too to have that mindset. Um, and then as I got older. Um, you know, I always, I, I guess I consider myself a creative person who was always thinking about 
things in a different way. I've always appreciated, um, you know, art and fashion and design and um, branding and, uh, you know, always had opinions on, you know, packaging and how things looked on the store shelves and things like that. Um, and then in terms of beauty products and personal care, um, I definitely was, you know, always on top of the trends. Um, I remember being um, a preteen and buying all the like Bonnie Bell lip smackers and <laughs> had to have every flavor. Uh, yeah, so that's always been, uh, you know, part of who I am. Yeah, well, it definitely seemed like you had that entrepreneurial bug growing up. You were very much a leader mm. and creative. And like you said, your parents also did a really good job teaching you about the value mm. of money, which we'll definitely get into later on uh, in this interview with your business. But despite having that entrepreneurial itch growing up, you didn't go down that path in college. So you studied business and you ended up getting a corporate job, which was very secure. And you talk about how you were always soul searching and trying to find fulfillment at work because you didn't feel like you had that. And I'm sure a lot of people listening can resonate with you right now. Can you share more about your life at that time? Yeah, um, you know, my parents were really generous to pay for my degree. And so I wasn't going to turn it down. But the whole time at school, I just never really knew, you know, what I wanted to to major in. So I chose business because my brother had done it. And it just made sense. And it just felt like, you know, it was, it was practical enough to, you know, leave college with some sort of opportunities, even though I didn't know what that looked like. Um, so right after college, I, I got my first job at a staffing company. Um, so I was basically recruiting people and placing them in their jobs. Um, it was, you know, somewhat related to human resources, uh, which I had actually um, specialized in with my business degree. Um, I didn't love it, but I, you know, it was, it was a job, which was, um, was, was huge because it took me a bit to find one right after college. It's so scary to like, just be thrown out into the real world and expected to land a job with benefits and everything. And, um, you know, so I was happy for what I was able to get at the time. Um, but then I started to work my way up, uh, the ladder in human resources and, uh, found myself in some other recruiting positions and then more of an HR kind of generalist role. Um, uh, fast forward a few years, I was in Chicago working for the MacArthur Foundation, which is a, a really nice uh, foundation that has amazing benefits, really generous pay. Um, and I had a nice position and I, you know, I had, I had security, I think, you know, for the first time and uh, realized I could keep kind of, you know, chugging away and working my way up that ladder. And, um, but I realized, you know, I, I just didn't feel right. Um, and I probably would still, you know, be there today, or at least in a similar role, you know, making even more money and just like, um, you know, kind of making a name for myself as an HR person. But I just, I'm glad that I, I, you know, acted on this, uh, urge to, to pursue other things. Cause it wasn't easy when you have stability in a job that pays well, you know, it's really easy to get comfortable in it and not move. Um, so I'm happy and very grateful that I, um, made that decision to keep exploring. Yeah. And what was the turning point? I mean, I've definitely been there as well in, in the corporate mm -hmm. job and then making that leap out. But what was the turning point when you're in this job, getting great benefits, you know, a reputable organization? Mm -hmm. Do you remember really what sparked you to kind of soul search and take that next step? Yeah, it was it was really personal, too. I was at a turning point in my life. Uh, I actually had, was going through a divorce. Um, and so for the first time ever, I was like, you know, living alone. Um, I felt like I had the whole world in front of me, you know, I could do anything and, um, and nobody was there to judge, right. It was all me. Um, and so I, I figured, you know, that if there's any time to do it, it's now. Um, mm -hmm. so I had, you know, a little bit of money saved up just from, um, some of the jobs I had worked and I decided to just take some time off work altogether. Um, so, you know, newly divorced, not working and, uh, 
had a little time to play. Um, so I started just experimenting with different hobbies and things. And um, I never had like an urge for anything specific. So I thought, all right, I'm going to try sewing because that's what people do. <laughs> I'm going to take some interior design classes. And um, I enjoyed all of it. You know, the, it was a fun fun journey to be on, but, um, you know, nothing was really like calling to me, like, you know, this is your thing. I, I think I'm too impatient too to learn new things sometimes. And, um, but I, I read something recently that said patience comes if it's something that you, you know, care about or that you want to be doing. Mm. And so, um, I realized that's what happened when I discovered, um, formulating personal care products for my company Schmitz. Um, so really that started, um, you know, as one of these kind of side hobbies, but then also, um, out of a desire to be using clean products on my skin because I was pregnant at the time too. So um, I found myself in a new relationship, you know, a few years after I started this kind of soul searching journey, um, got pregnant early, um, unexpectedly, and then uh, was in a position where, you know, I still had, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but I thought, okay, now I'm about to be a mom. Like I got to figure it out because once you're a mom, you know, <laughs> it, it's hard to kind of make, you know, make your way. And so I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure it out now while I'm pregnant. And then somehow it all worked out where my business and my baby were born within a few months of each other. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's amazing to see just how different your life is from when you got a divorce and you were still trying to figure out where your passion was. And there's a, also another thing that stood out to me is the fact that you really took the time to play and try different hobbies. Because I think for people who don't really know what they're passionate about and are still trying to figure out, it's so important to carve out that time to just quote unquote play and try different things. So yeah. to see you on that journey and how it eventually led you to Schmitz is incredible. And, you know, also talking about how you really gave birth to a company and your child at the same yeah. time. And I think that's been a, a theme that we've been hearing on this podcast where a lot of women coincidentally are starting companies while they're pregnant. So I think it's just super interesting to hear about your your journey with Schmidt. So you're working on this product. You want to clean products for yourself because you're pregnant with your son. You know, what was the next step? What did the early days of Schmidt's really look like? Yeah. Well, I, I just thought it would be fun to take my products to farmer's markets and festivals. And um, in Portland, there's no shortage. There's, um, especially in the summer, you know, every opportunity to get out and sell. So when I first started selling at the markets, um, it was really still a hobby. I didn't anticipate, you know, making a lot of money off it. I didn't even really understand that it, you know, would become a business. Um, but once I started hearing from customers and you know, recognizing the real enthusiasm around what I was doing, I, I saw right away, like, wow, there really is business opportunity here, um, especially with deodorant. There were no natural deodorants on the market at the time that people were excited about. Um, in fact, natural deodorants were um, few and far between, really. There were only a couple of brands on the shelves. Um, so I knew, you know, if I could create something that worked and that looked a little different, um, there would be an opportunity to, to you know, make, make, a, for, to make space for myself on the, on the shelves. Yeah, it's great that you created a product that you wanted, that you personally resonated with, and there wasn't really anything out there and customers loved it. And you saw that excitement at the farmer's market when you were there. But what do you think was really crucial at that point in your life to really help the business get off the ground? Because initially you were just going to different farmer's markets and you were selling the product, getting good traction there. But what really took you to that next step? 
I think it was just really having an open mind and, and listening to my customers. Um, I was in such a vulnerable position where like every you know piece of feedback that I heard, I like really took to heart, which can be damaging in some ways. But in the earliest days, it was really helpful because it helped um, me you know decide what sense I wanted to make and um, to get feedback on like the texture of my product and things like that. And just more than anything, just like validation that what I was doing you know was was great. So once you really Mm -hmm. perfected your product and incorporated the feedback from customers, you started selling it into larger retail outlets. So how did that even come about? I mean, as someone who didn't necessarily have that background, how did you, A, figure out retail was the next step and B, learn just even how to maneuver that since it was just a new industry for you to even begin with? Yeah. You know, I'm fortunate that I kind of stumbled into it. So I... I had, you know, a few retailers coming up to my booth and saying, are you interested in selling this in stores? Um, Or they would tell me, you know, customers are coming in and looking for your product. And that was amazing. I thought, oh my gosh. Um, So once I, you know, understood that potential, then I, you know, never looked back. And so I um, built out, you know, a strong strategy around how I wanted my product distributed. But it really just, you know, it came to me. It wasn't something I was really seeking in in the earliest days. What I really love about your journey specifically is you really kept an open mind for your next step and you didn't really overthink it, right? You had customers that started really loving your products from the farmer's markets and then you started really hearing the interest from the retailers. And outside of really creating an amazing product, you really executed on the next step. And one thing that you said is, one of your quotes is, you always said yes to everything. So some people might have different opportunities that come, but you really use that as your signal for the company and where you were going for your next step. So at that point in your life, did you have any mentors or people in the industry that were helping you with the company? Yeah. I'm asked this question a lot. And sometimes people are surprised to know that I don't have like, you know, one specific mentor. And looking back on it, it's like, oh, it would have been really valuable. Um, but really where I found, you know, my most of my support was within the community of entrepreneurs or the makers that I was surrounded by because we were building together and just learning from our own experiences and one another's experiences. Um, so that was really invaluable, you know, being at the markets, being at trade shows. Um, and then my customers, you know, they were there giving their their candid feedback and, and support. And my employees, too. I think a lot about how they helped me. Um, you know, along the way, like we learned together, like some of the people I hired were, didn't necessarily have, you know, the the experience that you would imagine, right, for building a business, yeah. but to, I saw their ambition and their interests and together we learned and we kind of leaned on one another. No, that's helpful to hear because I think really having a community and having that support system to get you through difficult times is, I think, really important because the entrepreneurial journey can feel quite lonely. And what I love so much about how you built the company is you didn't raise a single dollar. Not that that's a bad route to take, but you were completely bootstrapped. So how did you navigate your your money at the time, especially as a company that was growing so quickly? Yeah. Well, the first uh, couple of years, I had a couple of side hustles. Um, not, you know, not a lot of work, but just enough hours to provide the money I needed to really get the business off the ground. Um, but at my goal, you know, for those types of jobs is to really find work that complemented what I was doing with Schmitz. Uh, so for example, uh, I partnered up with a local spa who, um, gave massages and they wanted me to make, um, bulk massage lotion. And so, you know, it was just a compliment to the work I was already doing. 
um, it wasn't easy like to perfect, you know, this perfect glide that they wanted for their massage treatments. And um, so little challenges like that were fun, but also provided money to keep going. Well, I really appreciate how creative you were in terms of financing and bringing in money for your business at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also interesting to hear that you were only taking on jobs that were complementary to Schmidt. So I think, you know, in terms of experience and understanding the industry, you were still adding value, even if you weren't necessarily working on products that were specific to Schmidt. And also, you guys are pretty early in creating your e-commerce site. So I would imagine that the sales from there were helpful because you get the cash quite faster than your terms with the existing retailers that you were in. But how did you think through your e-commerce strategy and website at the time? Yeah, um, I built a website pretty early on um, just because I knew it was important to have. I wasn't spending a lot of money on ads or anything in the very beginning. Um, but once my husband joined on Chris, um, in like late 2013, early 2014, uh, we put a real strategy behind our ads and I'm um, trying to draw traffic to the website. Um, so that was the first kind of, um, you know, monetary investment I made into um, drawing new customers. Everything else had really been through word of mouth, um, you know, through the markets or the retailers, um, before I built out a strong e-commerce strategy though, I had pretty significant, uh, retail distribution. So, I had, um, you know, started in some of the local stores and made uh, my way into the co-ops and then uh, natural grocery stores and things. So um, Schmitz was was on shelves. You know, we had a pretty strong presence already before I built out the, the direct-to-consumer strategy. Looking back at that point in your life when you're really pushing hard to be in different retail outlets, do you have any key lessons that stand out or any interesting stories that you can share when yeah. you were really pushing hard to get into the retail stores? Yeah, you know, I was just so persistent that um, it kind of makes me laugh today. So um, in writing my book, I was able to kind of relive some of these experiences and go back and read some old emails. And I was laughing at just like how persistent and just like relentless I was with some of these retailers. So I'm talking like, you know, multiple emails, almost to the point of like harassment. (laughs) But it worked. I mean, it, it worked. And, you know, retailers like, I'm not saying like harassing people is the, the way to do it, but I think like they would keep seeing my name and then their, you know, their customers were coming in and asking for my product. And so just, you know, the seeing it over and over again, you know, put it in their head that like, okay, there's something to look at here. Um, and then just, you know, being really generous with samples and, and things like that. Um, trade shows. I had some funny stories where I remember like some really slow shows. I remember doing these gift shows where, most of the people that were shopping there were retailers trying to stock their their gift shops. Um, and deodorant's not the most giftable you know product, but I thought I had a right to be there and I, maybe I could get a couple of accounts. Um, but I had to work extra hard. So I remember like chasing a buyer down through the aisles and just saying, please just take the sample. And, you know, she told me she wasn't interested, but she appreciated my you know persistence, <laughs> my chasing her down. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love hearing stories like that. I mean, you're just so determined on the goal sometimes that, yeah. I mean, really, which is what you need, especially in the early days when you're trying to get it out there. So yeah. I love hearing stories like that. Well, and I believed in the product so much. I really thought, you know, everybody needed it and they deserved it. And so like that, that helped push me. You know, if you if you really think what you're providing is, you know, something great. I think really having that conviction yeah. of your product and knowing that yeah. it's one of the best is so important when you're trying to sell or even yeah. build out your team and express this vision that you have. And also there's enough good products out there mm-hmm. that, you know, you really need something great to stand out. 
So you were really one of the first natural deodorant companies that were in the market that actually worked. And as you know, there has been a flood of new companies coming into the space over the years from when you even started. How did you deal with competitors and really not allowing that to impact you and the growth of your own business? Yeah, there were, you know, a couple of approaches I took. One was, um, just to have a healthy balance with like knowing what was happening outside of my little world, but also like not obsessing over it. Um, I think you can really get stuck if you are just so concerned about what, you know, who's doing what and wasting really your time, like, you know, watching and and creeping. And (laughs) I had my, I had my fair share of nights of, you know, stalking Facebook pages and things. Uh, (laughs) um, So it's, you know, a balance of like, knowing your industry and who your competition is and what they're doing, but also like staying really focused on your goals and what makes you special and different. Yeah. Um, no. And then, you know, as we grew, um, that sort of like the messaging around the brand became a lot more important because it became more and more competitive. So when I started, there were few natural deodorant brands. Um, but then as you know, a few years in, they were just popping up all over. And so I had to make sure our marketing and the messaging we were putting out was, always a little, you know, a little bit ahead of what others were saying. Um, for example, you know, in the earliest days we would say, you know, the natural deodorant that actually works. Um, and it was true, you know, but then there were other brands coming up and their products were working well too. So then we had to start focusing on other things that made the product special and just being aware. That's all just such good advice to, you know, first not really spend too much time focusing your energy on your competitors because that's not really going to get you anywhere. And secondly, just really making sure your message is always differentiated. And like you said, you guys were ahead of the curve and you ultimately ended up creating, you know, a suite of products Mm -hmm. outside of just a deodorant and within seven years, you were in over 30,000 stores, and then you ultimately sold to Unilever for a nine-figure acquisition, which is very impressive in such a short amount of time. At what point did you realize that you wanted to sell the company, and what was that experience like for you? Yeah, it wasn't something that I had given a lot of thought to during the growth of the business. Uh, I was so focused on just you know what I was doing that I didn't look that far ahead and really question like, okay, what is the real future of this business? I, my goal while building was just to make, you know, our product as widely available to as many people as possible. Um, and that meant like selling in every store we could, right? Not every like um, beauty brand was interested in selling in stores like Walmart or Target or Costco. But for me, like that was really important because I want everybody to have access to healthy natural products that work. Um, so I, you know, my sites weren't set on like, a big monetary exit. I just um, was so tied up in the work. Also, it was such a part of me that I really couldn't imagine my life without it, like, you know, selling it. And then like, what does that mean for me? Like, what's my purpose now? Um, but as the conversations were ongoing, it made it made sense to me. You know, we were in a position where there was a lot of competition coming up behind us. Um, we were, you know, in a position too, where we were competing with not just natural brands, but like the heritage brands that weren't natural, right? We're like Dove, Secret X, uh, which meant we had made it really far, you know? And so we were a really serious player in the industry and we had mm-hmm. caught the attention of uh, companies like Unilever. Um, and with that type of, I guess, environment that, you know, that you're up against, it's basically like now or never kind of thing. So it's like, if they, you know, if you turn down that opportunity, then they're on to the next brand, right? And you're on your own and, the, you know, and which, you know, I considered it, um, but we were also in a pretty tight capital situation. So 
um, we had just launched that year into big box retailers. And when you do that, there's so much money tied up in inventory. Um, so for example, you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of deodorants out in the world, but you haven't been paid for them and you have to wait four months for the money to come in. And so for the first time we were pretty strapped for money and so it was a little scary. So we had to look at opportunities for funding and maybe that meant taking on investors or whatever. Um, so they, you know, they, they came into the picture at the right time. So Unilever, it seems like, was a great partner for you, and they have the global reach. What mm. was that experience like the day you guys sold? I mean, how, did you you talked a little bit about this. You were, weren't sure like how you would feel afterwards, what your purpose would be, but yeah. how was that experience for you? It was so surreal, you know, just to realize like that I had even gotten to that point. Because if you go back in time to like, you know, being in the kitchen and pregnant and just playing around with recipes and and then to know that like I had created something that was competing at this really significant level uh, was just mind blowing. And um, so I had to kind of keep checking in, you know, and like, is this reality? Like, it's nuts. Um, you know, but then I, um, you know, once I was able to level my head, I understood too, like, you know, this is something to be really proud of. Um, and this means like more opportunity for your life going forward. And like, I guess started getting really excited at like the potential ahead of me because I knew I had learned so much and that I would be in a position of, um, you know, influence and um, tell their entrepreneurs now. And that was really exciting for me because it isn't anything I'd ever thought about before. I never thought, you know, what I'd learned could be valuable to other people. <laughs> it's so incredibly valuable. And it's really empowering to see how you've created a media company, Supermaker, and an investment firm, Color, to really support underrepresented entrepreneurs and help them really create the dream that they've always envisioned for themselves. I'd love to hear more about the projects that you're involved with today. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, I I have learned so much and I'm really excited to share it with other people. And it became really clear to me too once um, people started reaching out to me after the acquisition and just telling me like, wow, your story is so powerful. And, you know, I'm trying to grow a business. What advice do you have? Um, I understood there was a lot to teach. Um, and so there's a few ways now that I'm doing that. And one is through our media company, Supermaker. Um, it's a website, it's supermaker.com, and we um, host conversations on there that are just really helpful and practical for other people looking to start their businesses. Um, a lot of outreach to creators and artists um, and earlier stage entrepreneurs. And so we also feature uh, a lot of people that otherwise wouldn't have their stories told with other business outlets. Um, and then, you know, during like, especially during like COVID-19 period, we have a lot of um, articles that are just really helpful and relatable and practical and and useful and um, just understanding that we, you know, are in a position to to be of support to others trying to kind of make their way in business. Um, and then also you mentioned color. That's my investment fund. Um, we prioritize investments in companies that were founded by people of color or women, just because we recognize like they're just the inequities, you know, in the system. And um, it's just not fair. Like these communities generally don't have access to, to funding as easily um, so we wanted to make a difference there. And we also could see there's just major, you know, talent and opportunity there, you know, in terms of like a smart business investment. So we've had some really great partnerships there. Um, and I've also written a book. Um, it's called Supermaker, Crafting Business on Your Own Terms. And that tells my whole story of starting and growing Schmitz um, with a lot of you know, practical takeaway lessons for other entrepreneurs. 
I love it. No, I'm excited to get my hands on a copy. I'm yeah. curious to even go deeper, you know, outside of this podcast and learn about everything that you did to really just grow this business. It's right. pretty remarkable. So Thank no, and you. I love everything that you're up to. You know, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening right now are thinking, okay, so she launched the business while she was pregnant, grew this amazing organization, sold it. I mean, how was life like with your your child who was so young and basically came with you on the journey? Yeah. You know, I, I really wouldn't want it any other way. When I look back, it was just such a like incredible experience to like, to be managing, you know, parenthood and, and business at the same time, because I learned a lot about myself. I was able to, you know, understand how to be the best parent I could be because I was in a position where I was, you know, kind of forced to prioritize my time and make sure that all the time I was spending with my son was like, you know, the best it could be. And just, uh, you know, there are moments of like, am I doing enough for the business or doing enough as a parent, you know, and just, but I realized you have to cut yourself slack and know that you're trying your hardest. Um, my son learned so much from the experience and it's ingrained in him now. And, you know, he just loves, um, talking about it and just like in speaking business and like having opinions on branding and things like that. And it's when I do things like this podcast, you know, he'll sit and listen and he'll wait for his name to be, <laughs> you know, I to be that. spoken. And he, if I don't talk about him, he calls me out on it. So it's really cute because he knows he was such an important part of the journey. You know, I really don't think that Schmitz would have been born if I hadn't been pregnant. And so, you know, and his, yeah. his support along the way was just so sweet and important. And I learned a lot, you know, you can learn a lot from a kid who's honest and has these um, just pure and innocent opinions on things. That's so sweet. And he's how old right now? Eight? Ten. Or a ten? Oh, my he's goodness. Ten. Yeah. So, yeah. So sweet. I love hearing that story. My dad very much was entrepreneurial and always brought me in business, too, from a young yeah. age. So I think it's such a great experience. If you just have your kid, I know I've read some of your stories in the farmer's market, you know, when your son was very young, you would just yeah. bring him with you. <laughs> right. I mean, he's cute, right? So people would stop by the booth and then hang out with him and then it would lead to a sale. <laughs> I love it. It's yeah. true. It's true. And how did you, you know, leading this fast growing company and, you know, being a mother, do you have any tips of how you design your life to really kind of mm -hmm. manage both of those worlds? I think, you know, first and foremost, like maybe don't obsess over um, scheduling it out or managing it in a way that you think is, you know, by the book. Um, I think every family is unique and you know has their own circumstances. Um, but just paying attention to for one, how you feel. And if you're thinking, you know, feeling maybe some guilt or dissatisfaction with a part of your life, then maybe pay some closer attention there and figure out where it's coming from. And um, again, cutting yourself the slack is going to be key too. Um, so it's just self-awareness, um, checking in with your family, I think is huge too. If you have a supportive partner, that's, you know, amazing. That's a big piece of it. It's not always there, but if you have that, that's, you know, that's one area for support. Um, and then leaning on, you know, friends and others outside the house too, if you need, you know, that can be helpful and just, um, yeah. Yeah. It takes a tribe for sure. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. How was, you know, just taking it back to the earlier days, you know, you talked a little bit about your parents and your upbringing and how, mm -hmm. you know, your dad had a more conservative job when you left the corporate corporate America to start this, what were yeah. their thoughts and how did they play a part in the growth of Schmitz? Yeah. I've always been like probably the more of the outcast of the family. I have a, a brother who's a few years older and he, he became an accountant right after college and he lives close to my parents today in Michigan. And I was always the one kind of Get, you know, getting into a little trouble or trying new things. Um, and so it wasn't completely surprising for them, you know, that I would quit the job and try to 
pursue my passion. Um, they've always been incredibly supportive. You know, there were times when I'm sure they thought I was crazy or, um, you know, they were probably a little worried about me. And I, I started my business when I was 31, right? So I was, you know, my own adult, you know, they they had zero control over what I was doing. But of course, they um, had opinions and, you know, emotions around it. Um, but they, I think they just loved following the journey and seeing me grow as a, as an entrepreneur and, you know, a person. And um, today they're just so proud, you know, they just read my book and they thought that was amazing, which is cool because they don't, they don't read books, you know, so for them yeah. to pick it up and, and speed through, it was pretty fun. I love that. And I, yeah. when I was prepping for this interview, I heard you say that your mom back in the day would call you and be like, are you still selling like yeah. the deodorant? I was just yeah, laughing. It really reminds cute. me of my parents. <laughs> she she read that in the book and she got a little hurt. She got her feelings hurt. And I was like, mom, no, it's cute. You know, like I, and what I meant by it really was that like, like it wasn't like, are you still in that business of deodorant? It was more like, you know, are the sales coming in? And, you know, like, you know, is the deodorant flying off your shelves? She just likes to hear the, you know, the excitement and enthusiasm from, from the customers and see that, you know, what I'm making is, being well-received in the world. I love it. That's yeah. super sweet. So you talked a bit about how now you're involved with a lot of entrepreneurs. I would love to hear, you know, the business landscape has changed so much from the days mm-hmm. of the early days of Schmitz to now. What would you say is just timeless advice that you give to the entrepreneurs that you mentor and invest in? Yeah, I think, you know, not having like huge expectations for your business or yourself and just kind of keeping a flexible mind and an open approach and knowing that you're probably going to have to shift gears sometimes. Like for example, today's economy is a great example. And um, I think sometimes we get so caught up in having a really kind of tight, rigid plan for how we think the business should go. And just knowing upfront, like it's not going to go that way. (laughs) There will be things that happen. There will be surprises. You might even realize you don't love the path you're on and you might need to make some small tweaks to it. Right. And that's okay. Um, I think people also get hung up on, you know, I've already invested this time and this money in this thing. Like I'm not, I'm not going to change now. And, um, if you're feeling that, then you're only going to go so far, you know, so act on those feelings and, you know, maybe, you know, listen to that voice in your head. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, right now, like you mentioned, we're in such a uncertain time, especially Mm -hmm. as a business owner. How did you deal with a lot of the ups and downs of just entrepreneurship and really not letting your ego get in, get into the mix of everything. I remember just always feeling so thankful that people wanted to buy something I had made. (laughs) You know, I always brought back to that moment of like, like if there were hardships or challenges or things, I would just remind remind myself, like, you know, this, you, you're creating something that people love and like, that's amazing. And you're like privileged in a sense that like, you're able to do this. Right. And so just bringing myself back to those moments of like gratitude, I think was really huge for me. For sure. And I think a, a lot of, I mean, which is the ethos of Schmitz is just having a bigger why and a bigger mission. You know, I mm-hmm. feel like I chase money f- for most of my life in investment banking and different mm-hmm. jobs. And at a certain point, it it's not even the biggest motivator that you'll have. So really going to your yeah. point of having that why and that mission is really one of the best things to get you through difficult times. Like, right. you know, what we're in we're in right now. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is, was your biggest mistake mm. during, during the, comp, you know, the growth of Schmidt, if anything, yeah. that you wish you knew if you could go back in time in those? 
I always wish I had like a, a really sexy thing here, but I, usually what I fall back on is just like the accounting stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> the bookkeeping and like the finances. And um, it got a little messy in the early years and it was my fault for not, you know, separate, separating out the business and the personal expenses and just kind of expecting everything to fall into place. And um, and I was just so caught up in the, the other parts of the business, right? The creative and the making and the branding and manufacturing and stuff that I didn't, I didn't want to think about the, you know, the stuff that's really important is keep your books clean. And so I just wish I'd, you know, started on a, on a stronger foot there. And that's a great point because so many people starting out are using their personal funds with business. And even though it feels like it's your life because you're essentially intertwined, it's so mm-hmm. important to keep everything very clean, right? Especially yeah. as you grow and, you know, going through an acquisition, I'm sure that diligence process was crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say just right from the beginning, just start off with really clean books because it's not easy to go back and you're not going to want to go back and clean them up. It's not fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that wasn't fun. But it's also interesting. We had another interview with Susie Batiz, a founder of Poopery, and she mentioned mm-hmm. the same thing. And, you know, pretty early in her company, she decided to hire a bookkeeper, which is not really the typical first few hires that you do before the business has really seen growth. So just really knowing what you're not good at and, you know, what's really important to your business, I think is important. So I'm glad that you brought that up. So I'd love to close with one last question. We love to ask all of our guests. Wealth means so much more than money and everybody has their own definition of wealth. What does wealth mean to you at this point in your life? I like that question. I think it's, um, you know, just understanding that I've had an impact beyond my personal circumstances. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the, you know, the idea of legacy and what that means too. And for me, it's knowing that I've had impact on maybe another business that was started, or it's like the the impact that goes greater than your brand, right? Like Schmidt's made major waves in the industry. We literally like changed the perception of natural products and that's huge. And that's a legacy in itself. But then I think about all the other brands that came up, you know, after us and that are following in those same footsteps and how it just, this legacy extends to those as well. Yeah. More of a, I guess more of a kind of a community thing versus just, you know, personal. Absolutely. Well, you've built a legacy and you're continuing to build a legacy with Supermaker and Color. So I'm so appreciative of all the work that you've been doing, especially with entrepreneurs during these times. So Jamie, thank you so much for joining us today and being with us. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.